0: So we are swimming deep here in the book of Ephesians, but it's also very simple in some ways. We're going to get into the depths and kind of tear apart uh, the beauty of God's word, and, and, and yet it's so simple. We're right in a section Where Paul's inviting those listening, saying, Do you want to keep struggling with sin or do you want to walk in victory? That same old stuff, that junk inside of you that you know doesn't honor God and it is destructive in your life, it hurts you, it hurts others, and you just want to get rid of it. Guess what? There's victory in Jesus. No sin has to be your master. So that's in the simplicity of it. This is what Paul's talking about, and he, but it's, it, he goes deep. And so last week, this week, we're trying to dive in deep, but also grab onto some of those, those simple truths that help us to overcome sin. That is actually God's will for our life right now, to overcome sin. As we looked at last week in Ephesians four, 17 to 32 a whole long section paul encouraged us to get rid of quote useless thinking useless thinking get rid of it he said and what was that useless thinking it's where we give our we give into sin we give ourselves up to sin was his language we give in and let sin win struggle long enough with that hard issue we know we don't like it but it, it, it's a hard thing so we end up just giving in whatever and just keep sinning accept defeat and paul says no 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 that right there is useless thinking it's not helping you it's not helping anybody it doesn't honor god because there is a new nature inside of you you want to honor god <laughs> you want to live in victory grab hold of this truth paul's saying In verse 424, he just brings it to a head. He says, put on that new self. There's a new nature inside of you. Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Meaning, this is not talking about our position in Christ. This is talking about a new nature inside of us that loves holiness, that loves righteousness, that loves to do what is right. And Paul says, so put it on. It's strange language, right? Well, if you're already a Christian, it's already on. Yes and no. Yes, and but there's a continued ongoing choice of, are we going to live back in that old useless thinking where we just give in? Or are we going to continue to fight that mental battle? That's why the Bible talks about renewing our minds. It's a daily thing. Renewing our minds. That we have a new nature. Sin does not have to win. And then he concludes it with, therefore, be imitators of God. That's where you know he's serious. This is not a joke. This is not abstract thinking. This is how you're living your actual life. This is not just your position in Christ. This is how you're actually living. And he says, in the power of Christ and the new nature in you, you can be imitators of God (laughs) in his nature. So that's wow. Some very good news. And we're going to pick up right where that leaves off in chapter 5, verse 1. So it's 20 verses, so we'll read it quick, and then we'll get into it. And this section now that we're getting into is very, very connected to what I just introduced from chapter 4. And really, so now we're, we're going to get into some action steps to kind of help frame it. Like I said, we're swimming deep. To help frame it a little bit, we're going to get into some what action steps can we take To not let sin win, and rather walk in the victorious, Christ-like new self that's already in us. And so that's what this section is about. So let's check it out. Therefore, be imitators of God. This is Ephesians 5, chapter 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself, up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Let me stop there for a second. Just, if there's any question whatsoever that Paul thinks that we can actually live this way, it's right here. Therefore, be imitators of God as his beloved children. In other words, you're a chip off the old block. you got your father's nature. It's holy. It's righteous. So live it out. Be like. Be like him. And he goes on to say, so walk in love. That word, walk literally means live live walk right now in this life this is not something you have to wait till heaven for because oh i'm just a horrible sinner they're all gonna sin stop it that's useless thinking be an imitator of your father right now you can walk this out this is your life now it's literally the bible that's what paul's saying this is great news There's the power of God within us that we can put on. Walk in love. Live in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must must not even be named among you, as is not proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving, Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as wise, but as unwise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, like I said, we're swimming in the deep end. I guess just so much, and yet it's all really one connected thought going back even into chapter four and it's this issue of are we going to live in victory are we going to overcome sin are we going to or are we going to stay in that useless thinking that just gives in to all this stuff and just kind of accepts it as status quo until we die and go to heaven i mean there's actually a pretty strong warning in here saying like whoa actually the wrath of god has comes on those who just don't even care and just give in and just continue it so I was like, no way are we supposed to give in to that useless thinking that just says, ah, sin is my master. I'm going to just always struggle. You name this sin, oh, this is, this is my sin. Just till the day I die, I'm going to struggle with this. That is a very unbiblical perspective. He's, he's saying the exact opposite. He's saying, watch out. The wrath of God comes on those who just give in to disobedience. You have a new nature. You can put it on now. You can walk in the victory. There is true righteousness and holiness inside of you. So this is that relationship with God that's real, that in our engagement with God, it it comes out more. It it, it feels like it gets bigger and bigger. It grows as we engage in that relationship with God and believe these promises that sin doesn't have to win. We can overcome sin. And so this passage now is, like we said, deep end, but I'm going to try to just pull out a few things in that battle to overcome sin. Jesus was on the cross not only to forgive you of your sin, but to break the power of sin. And it doesn't honor Jesus and his death on the cross to claim any specific sin as my identity. In fact, it dishonors the work of Jesus on the cross. Because it says that sin's too big for him. He may have broken that power of sin in somebody else, but he didn't go on the cross and break that power of sin for me. It's mine forever until heaven. Got to stop that kind of useless thinking. And live into the victory that Paul's encouraging us is already ours in Christ. Yet somehow we got to keep putting it on and walking it. So a few things here. What action steps can we take to not let sin win and rather walk in the victorious, Christ-like new nature that's in us? So if you're working from your lift notes here, just a, there's three things here. And I really want to get to number three. There's kind of like some don'ts and some do's. I really like the do's. We're going to get there. Number one is remember and believe your new nature in Christ. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because, in in essence, this was the whole message from last week. But Paul repeats it in verse 7, or excuse me, verse 8. Part of taking on that new self and walking in this new, powerful way of life is remembering this. What does he say? At one time, you were darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. And that's the tension right there. You are light, so act like it. It's in here. Believe it. And that's, that's a, where the battle begins. We saw that last week. Don't believe your darkness. You're not darkness anymore. You may have struggles, and that's real. But you're not darkness anymore. You have a new nature That's what verse 424 said. True holiness and righteousness is in here. You are light. The light of God is in you. It's a new nature. Believe it. And then walk in it. But if you don't believe it, you're not going to walk in it. And so that's where he's going after our mindset. That's the whole message from last week. We have to allow our minds to not be shaped by our struggles. This is huge. We have to allow what we believe not to be shaped by our struggles or our pitfalls or what the world says about us and our limitations. We can't. We're being deceived if we do. We have to let the truth of God's word renew and reshape our minds. Even if it means that we're believing it by faith. Hey, there's a cool word. So let's say I'm struggling with this sin right now. Well, if that's the case, then as good, you know, scientific Westerners, we make observations, and we observe reality, and it's our truth. Well, I just sinned here, so I just, that just, I'm just, that's just me. God says, stop it. There's a new nature inside of you. Just because it happens doesn't mean that's, that's your whole nature. You have to believe that there is that new nature inside of you that loves righteousness and holiness. You're not darkness anymore. You are light, so walk as children of light. What is this? This is faith. This is where you believe the truth that God says even before you've seen it fully come to pass. That is the essence of faith. Allow our minds to be renewed where we, we believe what God says about us even when we don't see it yet. We believe better about us than even what we see yet. Why? Because God says so. Are we letting God define our reality or our struggles? And so this is a big deal. Paul says, let our minds remember and believe in the new nature that is ours in Christ. That's where it's got to start. Moving on. Second part here, number two, don't partner with pursuing sin. So, this is kind of obvious, but there's a cool word in here that I just want to highlight. I feel like it gives us a good visual. The whole, like chapter 5, verses 3 to 12, as he names a bunch of different sins that are actually different than the list that he named last week. So, it's not hard to find sins. So, I, I would say, you know, the list itself. Is not of utmost importance. He's talking about the reality of battling against sin. And last, you know, in the last chapter, he names all these various things about anger and rage and and malice. And he gets into this chapter of immorality and impurity and coveting others and and, and filthy talk and all these various things. So, he names some specifics, but you could just broaden it to any of those struggles that you know you're you're created in Christ to to live above. You know, to honor Christ, to put God first and to live in that, that righteousness and holiness of Christ, that there's a, there's a better way. So you can kind of fill in whatever. And that's why I feel very comfortable saying it's kind of whatever you're struggling with. The good news is you don't have to let sin win. You can overcome sin. And what the, the key is, one of the keys, and in some ways it's kind of obvious, he's saying don't partner, <laughs> don't partner with sin. If you want to live out your new nature in Christ, then you just need to be aware, who are you partnering with? Because you're going to become like who you surround yourself with. You will. It happens. So this is his two specific verses, are 5 7 where he says, Therefore, do not become partners with them. As he has listed, you know, the folks who are sexually immoral and impure and covetousness and filthiness coming out of their mouth and all these various things. And he says, do not become partners with them. Important word. And then he says a very similar word in 5.11. So take no part in unfruitful works of darkness. Take no part. So there's this sense of, are you aware of who you are partnering with, surrounding yourself with, allowing yourself to be influenced by because you're you are becoming like them. And now, a caution. This is not say flee from the world, in the sense of where Jesus says we need to be in the world, but not of the world. So there's a tension there. I'm not saying, nor is the Bible saying, do not have interaction or relationship with non-believers. Jesus said, be in the world, but not of. So if every Christian kind of retreats into their own little Christian bubble because it's safe and they don't want to get contaminated, then how does the kingdom of God advance? That's ridiculous. Jesus hung out with the worst of sinners, with the prostitutes, with the, the worst of the, the partiers, the dregs of society, the ones who, had, who were intentionally thumbing their nose to God and the law. He was with them <laughs> publicly as much as anyone else to the point he had a reputation it was wrong but he had a reputation of a of a big partier it's in the bible because of who he was hanging out with he was with them because he loved them because god loved them but loves them because he loves the whole world and the kingdom is meant to advance light into darkness but he did not partake with them and that's a massive difference. He did not become like them. He did not engage his heart, mind, and spirit in their sources of pleasure. He had his Father. He had a communion with the Holy Spirit. And that's what this word that I think is really interesting. Don't become partners with them. It means fellow partakers, sharing with. And then when it says in verse 11, take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, the word is syncoinoneo. Sync, sink, where we get the word sync up, to participate, to connect, to sync with. And so that's a very interesting word in our in, in our day and age where we we sync up with so many different things, right? I mean, we live in a world that longs to sync up. You got all, we got all of our gadgets and our tablets and our screens that sync. And what happens when you sync is you transfer. Transfers of data happen, transfers of information, transfers of pictures, transfers of videos, transfers of likeness. And so there's just, I think, a very interesting picture for our world today of what's the tension to be in the world but not of the world. You don't sync up with darkness to where you're allowing your heart, your mind, your spirit that transfer of values, that transfer of seeking sources of pleasure, that transfer of giving into sin. So this is where Paul is saying, you, let's be very aware of who we're syncing up with. And so that's a healthy challenge for us. If we want to come overcome sin, who we're sinking up with will make a huge difference in our life. Because who you are syncing up with is who you are becoming. So let's be very aware. We want who we sync up with. So the the talk that we hear come out of people's mouths is it honoring God? Is it helping us to live into more of a Christ-like way of living? It's a big question because we live in a world right now that's very divided, and a lot of it is about speech and conversations and, and in the, it gets into the political world really quick. And so that's a very interesting question, is, that, is, is who, who am I syncing up with? Who am I plugging into regularly? And are they helping me become more Christ-like? Is it helping me live into the new nature that is in me, or is it just kind of filthy junk from the world? And so this is what Paul's getting at. What are we sinking up to to feed our soul? Don't partner with stuff that's not going to help you become more like Jesus. And then the third one here that he gets into, to overcome sin, don't dwell on sin. Dwell with God. To overcome sin, and I love this. This is so life giving. This is so empowering. It's such good news. I've seen it in our life and our family. And to overcome sin, you don't dwell on it, you dwell with God. See, too often we attempt to overcome sin by just dwelling on that sin, which I think at times can really unintentionally give it more power. When you struggle and you fall, you can obsess upon, and sometimes probably from a good heart, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to live that way. I don't want to have those thoughts, desires, emotions, responses. And you can dwell on it in a way where it, it, it becomes a fixation, a focus. And, and real quickly, it, it can become negative, where it's not productive. You're not getting over it. It's just become like a negative obsession, where now you're scared of it. You feel bad about it. You're scared of when you're going to do it again. You feel guilty when you do. And it it becomes a, a focal point that in some ways just, I think the enemy likes it. He says, yeah, stay fixed on your failures. Personally, I don't see much in God's word or anything, to be honest. I'd be happy to have that conversation afterwards about fixing on your failures as a way to get over them what i see much more of so that's the that's this little meme here don't dwell on your sin dwell with god there is a purifying power of living connected to god when your soul satisfies with god when your soul is satisfied with god trusting god believing in god encountering god tasting and seeing that god is good as the bible describes then sin loses its appeal to overcome sin, I believe one of the most powerful things we can do in addition to, you know, one and two, renewing our minds and not partnering up, syncing up with it, is just learn to dwell with God. And sin will lose its power. Because you can can drive yourself crazy trying to get rid of something by obsessing on it. It's like scratching an itch, believing that scratching an itch is going to make it better doesn't work or you know that old famous phrase is like people say like hey renew your mind so don't don't think about this right now don't think about a pink elephant don't think about a pink elephant right now none of you think about a pink elephant in a purple tutu dancing none of you don't do it stop it it's sin don't do it pink elephant purple tutu don't do it come on we're all in sin right now right that's how we try to fight sin sometimes like obsessing on don't doing it. No. Way more effective is just find your joy in God. And then you just kind of forget about the pink elephant. Find your joy in God. And that's where Paul's going to go right now. So that's I just want to spend our last 10, 12 minutes here. So he gets into it. Some practices to just overcome sin by dwelling with God. So that's number, number three here. Don't dwell on sin. Dwell with God. And then kind of three, A, B, C, D. A few quick things. These are practices to dwell with God. And as we learn to dwell with God, be with God, connect with God, it's like, "Oh, I kind of forgot about that sin." Because so, so I, whoa, I got satisfied with God. <laughs> kind of forgot about that struggle. Here we go, right back into the chapter. Look carefully, chapter five verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So, this is about stewarding our time well. It's very interesting. I just, I love how God's word works. It's like you can get overwhelmed in the deep end, but I just feel like there was just, God was flowing here. And so what I want to submit to you guys is there's, there's really four things that he highlights. When you put them together, what are they all about? Well, they're finishing the chapter about overcoming sin and letting that new nature come forth. And all of them are essentially about how to just stay connected to God, to dwell with God, to be with God, to worship God. And so I'm trying to just pull a few of these out for you that I would submit to you are, are these battle tactics, becoming that spiritual ninja, if you will, that God's designed you to be, putting on that new self so that you're living life dwelling with God. And, whoa, what's the result? Sin becomes less and less of an intrigue or even powerful. And so here, here we go. So the first one is he's saying to dwell with God, you got to steward each day well in order to dwell with God. Time is utterly important. So to move right to the application, the question is, have you submitted your calendar to God as an act of worship? Monthly, weekly, daily. Can you confidently say, this calendar is, is me doing the best I can to steward my time that God has given me, which is a precious precious gift, and I am doing my best, I'm learning, what does it say, to discern the will of God, to understand the will of God, not to be foolish with my time, but to understand the will of God by making the best use of time. That's all about stewardship. The time is precious. Our calendar is precious, and we can either be foolish and squander it, or we can invest well in dwelling with God. And so I believe God calls us to take it extremely seriously of looking at our calendar. I mean, I've got a note for on this, I've got a note Sunday night, 9 p.m. calendar, and it's looking into the whole week, and it's celebrate and plan. So look back at the prior week and just give God thanks for what he's done and then plan. And it's going through that calendar. Now, some, you know, a lot of us have certain things that are non-negotiable. You have a nine-to-five job or you've got this commitment, you've got that commitment. That's, that's all normal. That's good. So this is about where you are able, are you intentionally investing your time to dwell with God? This is along those values of the up, in, and out. If you've been with us and if you haven't, it's these values that Jesus models to connect relationally is what life's all about. Do we connect with the Father? Are we connecting with healthy fellowship, life-giving fellowship in the body? And are we looking for ways to get outside of ourselves and serve others with the gifts and the passions and the glory that God's put on us? There's There's a template of heaven right there. That's what God values. For our choice of what we steward well according to the values of heaven. And so it's are we building that into our weekly plan of making the best use of time? And are we pulling that out into monthly? And then on the daily basis, are we open to being led by the Spirit? Where sometimes, when we're able, (laughs) we scrap all the plans because the Holy Spirit's saying, I'm moving here today. Or maybe it's even in a half hour increment where you see a divine appointment where there's the opportunity to serve out or where there's something going on with brothers and sisters where you need to call upon them to receive and, and get that life-giving strength from one another or you get to be on the giving end for your brothers and sisters to build life in or you know you, or it's just kind of like you're having a bad day and the challenges are coming and, the, and kind of stinky fruit's coming out of you. As we say in our family, it's like, hey, you know what you have permission to do? Stop and get alone with the Lord. Get the good fruit flowing again. And so it's like, it's both planning well and then being open to the spirit. Those two things together, planning according to the values of heaven and then being open to the spirit is stewarding and making the best use of time so that you don't live foolishly. You don't waste your time, but you've discerned the will of the Lord. What's all that about? Being with God every day. And so when you think about the connection that this all has to overcoming sin, that makes a lot of sense. Because a lot of times we're struggling with sin because we're not stewarding well the time that God has given us to connect with him. Let's just say, We don't steward well and we just look at our calendar and we say, I'm going to work as many possible hours as I possibly can to make the most money. And then I'm going to wonder why at the end of the week I've got horrible fruit and I'm angry and I'm bitter and I'm short and everyone around me is bothering me and I'm snapping at everyone. I'm struggling with sin because I'm not stewarding my time well. If even Jesus made time to get alone regularly, to be with the Father and and pray and worship. He gives us freedom. There's your permission. You're not doing things more important than Jesus. Sorry. And that's supposed to be good news. So struggling with sin has a lot to do often with how are we stewarding our time. God gives you permission to invest it in a way that connects you with him. So good fruit comes out of you. 3B, this is very similar. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. What that's going after is if you want to overcome sin, seek God as your source of peace, power, and pleasure. That's a choice. That's a habit. And he throws in an example of how to do the opposite of that. If you're seeking wine, or what is it? Yeah, it's wine. If you're seeking wine as your source of pleasure, guess what you're missing out on? Being filled with the Spirit. I don't think that's just about wine. This is a value of heaven. What are you being filled with? What are you seeking as your source of peace, power, or pleasure? It could be wine, it could be a brownie. It could be too much TV. I mean, (laughs) we could replace God with anything. This is about what are we choosing to seek as our source of peace, power, and pleasure. Because the invitation is we have the privilege as followers of Jesus to live filled up with the Spirit. We can dwell with God. But what does he say? Seek me and you will find me when you seek me with your whole heart. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. And so there are choices on our part in the relationship that's real where what are we seeking for peace, for power, for pleasure? God's supposed to be number one on the throne. And as we do that, God will be faithful he will be faithful to reveal himself to us. It might be hard because if we've been seeking peace, power, and pleasure and other things for so long, we've kind of gotten used to their taste. But what does the Bible say? Taste and see that the Lord is good. He's what you're made for. So it, 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 it will, it'll be a struggle for a while because you're so used to tasting one thing. But as we seek God as our peace, power, and pleasure, he'll come through, he'll reveal himself, he'll show himself as what does Psalm 16 say in your... In your presence is the fullness of joy at your right hand Our pleasures forevermore God invented pleasure and he's the highest we could find and your new nature knows that and loves it and so this is that invitation seek it keep seeking keep seeking to be filled up with him and as you get filled up with him it's amazing sin loses its luster there's only so much room in the human heart and we're created to live satisfied with God. God is not a God that wants you to not have pleasure. Joy is like the first named fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy. God loves for his children to be satisfied in him. Joy is the, the serious business of heaven, as C.S. Lewis said. You look at the pictures of heaven in Revelation. It's all about joy. They're, they're just... Worshiping their brains out. They're just so full of joy. It's just such a response to God. He's so awesome. The souls are satisfied. They just fall down before the throne in awe in worship. God wants you to live in joy. But when we fill up with other things, it's simply not room for God. So this is about seeking God, and as the soul's satisfied, sin will lose its power. Cause then you kind of like, oh, there's that's, that sin is like it's like the dirt, the mud, the swamp water. I like got the rivers of living water. Why would I go back to the swamp? Three C. He gets on here. That worship, another way to dwell with God. Worship is a weapon. Worship is a weapon. Worship is a weapon for purity. You want to overcome sin. You don't sit there and dwell it on it. Oh, I'm so bad, and I did it again, and I keep having that response that I don't want. And You don't focus there. What does he say? Verse 519, address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing, making melody to God, making melody to the Lord with your heart. Worship does something to you. That's part of this connected to the last one. We're made to be satisfied, and that's kind of like sin is ultimately... We're, we're worshiping false gods. We're worshiping lesser things. We're worshiping, you know, mud pies. When, when God is the, the, the holiday at the sea. We're trying to find satisfaction in stuff that just doesn't work. And so worship is, is he's saying, go, go to worship. That's, your soul's made for it and it's good. Just put it in the right place. Put it towards the one you're made for addressing one another in psalms and hymns singing making melody to the lord so this is a cool two-part thing that as you practice worshiping god i mean you guys can feel this right you're in a bad mood things are bad things are rough and and it's only like so long before you put if you put on worship music and 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 engage y- y- you feel it melting right you should <laughs> you feel it melting away it's hard to be mad at somebody Really hard to stay mad at somebody when you start worshiping God. (laughs) (laughs) Because good stuff happens. Sin gets overcome. As we worship, that fruit of the Spirit starts flowing. We get connected to the Spirit. We get filled with the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit starts flowing out of us. And so he's saying, hey, use this. This is a weapon to overcome sin. To practice, make it a practice not only with yourself, but to the degree that you can address one another. Now this is interesting. Address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody to the Lord. So in, in other words, you've cultivated this enough on your own that now with others it's overflowing. So that a genuine song of worship is overflowing out of you that you have to share with others. So as you're overcoming sin, your focus is not on, "Oh, oh, how do I overcome?" It's I'm just worshiping, I'm a worshiper. I'm made to worship. I've got the privilege now to worship, to connect with God, to love God, to be with God. And as I cultivate worship, as I dwell I, I encounter God, I'm dwelling with God, and it begins to overflow. And lastly, give thanks always and for everything to god the father in the name of our lord jesus christ to dwell with god this is a huge practice gratitude stirs up the soul to be with god gratitude is a choice it's saying give thanks to god in everything so it's be this is a practice a spiritual practice You get to choose. Are you going to focus on your failures or are you going to focus on what you're grateful for? Are you going to focus on the things that are negative in life or are you going to focus on God's goodness, the blessings? As James 1 makes clear, every good thing in life is a gift from God. And we've all got a lot of really good things in life. But we can choose to focus on the negative. We can choose to focus on the problems. We can dwell there. That's not saying you don't recognize and aren't aware that the world isn't perfect and there's work to do. No, but this is about where you're dwelling. And God's word over and over teaches us dwell on gratitude. Because as you dwell on gratitude, you're going to dwell with God. Because it's going to be that reminder your soul needs of, oh my gosh, I am swimming in undeserved goodness. My life is just one deserved are one big, fat, undeserved goodness called grace. That's what grace is. And as a Christian, we should really quickly, really easily be able to find undeserved goodness. It's, hello, everything. I deserve to be separated from him because of my sin. But Jesus said, no, I'm going on the cross so I can give you a free gift of eternal life that starts now and everything I give you in life is an undeserved gift. It's grace. Your life is grace. And so it shouldn't be hard for us to slow down every breath in our lungs, every beat of our heart, every single thing that's good, every good relationship, every meal we have, every time we are provided for by God, every joyful thought, every loving encounter, every moment of joy, all of it, all of it, grace. And so to cultivate that, it does something. I kind of had this picture, and we'll close here, I kind of had this picture of like, you know how the Bible talks about our cup overflowing? Where it's in there, and when we practice gratitude, we, we do something on our heart to help stir up what's already in our cup so that it overflows. See, gratitude is something that we can choose or choose not to do. And over and over, God tells us to do it. Why? Because it does something healthy for the soul. What does it do? It takes what God has already deposited. Gratitude is thankfulness for the past. So it's what God has already put in our cup the good works that he's already done, and gratitude stirs it up, and you're, it makes you look at it. You stir it up, and what happens? It becomes like spiritually active, and you say, Thank you for this relationship. Thank you, God, for this. Thank you, God, for that. Thank you for that provision there. Thank you for that breakthrough there. Thank you for that victory there that you've already done this week, last week, last month, last year, and you're stirring up what God has already done. And sooner or later, what's happening? You start overflowing, and your whole countenance has changed from mad to grateful, connected to God, dwelling with God. There's peace, there's joy, there's hope, and you stir all of that up with gratitude. And so as you put all these four things together, if you will, these become practices. You want to overcome sin? Steward each day well get good at practicing that. Seek God as your source. Practice that. Go to worship as a weapon. Practice that. And gratitude, about as much as you can think of. Practice that. Those kind of four things together, you are going to increasingly dwell with God. You're increasingly dwelled just means that you're living with, you're connected to, sensing his presence, so that good stuff, that fruit of the Spirit, you get filled with the Spirit, and that fruit of the Spirit starts flowing out of you. And guess what happens? Oh, I kind of forgot about that sin. It's not very powerful anymore, because God is so good. And that's Paul's little recipe here, if you will, to overcome sin. Let's pray. Let's just sit quiet for a moment here and want to encourage you to listen. What is is God saying to you right now? What's the truth that's standing out? Maybe you want to write it down in your phone or a journal, on your lift notes. We believe God has good news for every single one of us this morning to help us walk in victory. So Holy Spirit, we pray you would speak and be clear for each one of us. Let's sit here for a moment, church. I will sing a new song, I will sing a new song, I will dance a new dance like David.